Mildred Lawson, Chapter Eleven of Celibates by George Moore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by James Carson. When she was able to leave her room, she was ordered to the seaside. After a fortnight in Brighton, she went to stay with some friends in town. Christmas she spent in Sutton. There was a large party of Harold's friends, business folk whom Mildred hated. She was glad when they left, and she was free to choose the room that suited her purpose best. She purchased draperies and hired models and commenced a picture. She commenced a second picture, but that too went wrong. She then tried a few studies. She got on better with these, but it soon became clear to her that she could not carry out her ideas until she had learned to draw. Another two years of hard work in the studio were necessary, but as she was not going to Paris till the spring, her thoughts turned to the National Gallery, and on the following week she commenced copying a head by Gruce. She had barely finished sketching in the head when Miss Brand told her that Ralph was very ill and was not expected to live. She laid her charcoal on the easel. The movement was very slow, and she lifted a frightened face. "'What is the matter with him, do you know?' "'He caught a bad cold about a month ago. He doesn't seem ever to have got over it. But for a long time he has been looking worried, you know, the look of a man who has something on his mind.' A close observer might have noticed that the expression on Mildred's face changed a little. He is dying for me, she thought. He is dying for love of me. And as in a ray of sunlight, she basked for a moment in a little glow of self-satisfaction. Then, almost angrily, she defended herself against herself. She was not responsible for so casual a thought. The greatest saint might be the victim of a wandering thought. She was, of course, glad that he liked her, but she was sorry that she had caused him suffering. He must have suffered. Men will sacrifice anything for their passions. But no, Ralph had always been nice with her. She owed him a great deal. They had had pleasant times together in this very gallery. She could remember almost every word he said. She had liked him to lean over her shoulder and correct her drawing. He would never do so again. Good heavens! Just before Miss Brand came up to speak to her, she was wondering if she should meet him in the gallery, and what he would think of the gruse. He wouldn't care much about it. He didn't care much about the French eighteenth century. Of course he admired Watteau, but it was an impersonal admiration. There was nothing of the Watteau, gruse, pater, or l'encre in him. He was purely English. He took no interest in the unreal charm that that head expressed. Of course, no such girl had ever existed or could exist. Those melting eyes and the impossible innocence of that mouth. It was the soul of a courtesan in the body of a virgin. She was like that, somewhat like that, and inspired by the likeness between herself and the picture, Mildred took up her charcoal and continued her drawing. But she must have been thinking vaguely all the while of Ralph, for suddenly her thoughts became clear, and she heard the words as if they had been read to her. 
lots of men have killed themselves for women but to die of a broken heart proves a great deal more few women have inspired such a love as that if it were known if she pushed the thought angrily aside as one might a piece of furniture over which one had stumbled in the dark it was shocking that thoughts should come uncalled for and such thoughts the very opposite of what she really felt that man had been very good to her she had liked him very much it was shocking that she had been the cause of his death it was too terrible but it was most improbable it was much more likely that his illness was the effect of the cold he had caught last month men did not die of broken hearts she had nothing whatever to do with it and yet she didn't know when men like him set their hearts on a woman she was very sorry she was sorry but there was no use thinking any more about it so she locked up her paint-box and left the gallery she was nervous her egotism had frightened her a little he was dying and for her yet she felt nothing not only were her eyes dry but her heart was too a pebble with her own name written on it that was her heart she wished to feel she longed for the long ache of regret which she read of in books she yearned for tears tears were a divine solace grief was beautiful and all along the streets she continued to woo sorrow she thought of his tenderness the real goodness of his nature his solicitude for her and she allowed her thoughts to dwell on the pleasant hours they had passed together her heart remained unmoved but her feet led her towards st james's park she thought she would like to see it again and when she stood on the bridge where they had so often stood when she visited the seat where they had often sat chatting under the budding trees her eyes would surely fill with tears and she would grieve for her dying lover as appropriately as any other woman but that day the park was submerged in blue mist the shadows of the island fell into the lake still as death and the birds moving through the little light that lingered on the water seemed like shadows strange and woe-begone to mildred it seemed all like death she would never again walk with him in the pretty spring mornings when light mist and faint sunlight played together and the trees shake out their foliage in the warm air how sad it all was but she did feel sorry for him she really was sorry though she wasn't overcome with grief but she had done nothing wrong in justice to herself she could not admit that she had she always knew just where to draw the line and if other girls did not so much the worse for them he had wanted to marry her but that was no reason why she should marry him she may have led him to expect that she would sooner or later but in breaking with him she had done the wisest thing she would not have made him happy she was not sure that she could make any man happy awaking from her thoughts she reproached herself for her selfishness she was always thinking of herself and that poor fellow was dying for love of her she knew what death was she too had been ill 
She was quite well now, but she had been ill enough to see to the edge of that narrow little slit in the ground, that terrible black little slit whence Ralph was going, going out of her sight forever, out of sight of the park, this park which would be as beautiful as ever in another couple of months, and where he had walked with her. How terrible it was, how awful, and how cold she could not stand on the bridge any longer. She shivered and said, I'm catching a cold. For the sake of her figure, she never wore quite enough clothes, and she regretted her imprudence in standing so long on the misty bridge. She must take care of herself, for her to feel ill would serve no purpose. She would not be able to see Ralph, and she wanted to see him above all things. As she crossed the open space in front of Buckingham Palace, the desire to see him laid hold of her. She must know if he was really dying. She would drive straight to his studio. She had been there before, but then she knew no one would be there. She would have to risk the chance of someone seeing her going in and coming out. But no matter who saw her, she must go. She hailed a hansom and the discovery that she was capable of so much adventure pleased her. She thought of his poor sick bed in the dark room behind the studio. She had caught sight of his bedroom as she had passed through the passage. She believed herself capable and willing to sit by his sick bed and nurse him. She did not, as a rule, care for sick people, but she thought she would like to nurse him. The hansom turned through the Chelsea streets, getting nearer and nearer to the studio. She wondered who was nursing him. There must be someone there. The hansom stopped. She got out and knocked. The door was opened by a young woman who looked like a servant, but Mildred was not deceived by her appearance. One of his models come to nurse him, she thought. I have heard, she said, that Mr. Hoskin is ill. Yes. He is very ill, I'm sorry to say. I should like to see him. Will you inquire? He's not well enough to see anyone today. He has just dozed off. I couldn't wake him, but I'll give him any message. Give him my card and say I would like to see him. Stay, I'll write a word upon it. While Mildred wrote on the card, the girl watched her. Her face was full of suspicion and when she read the name an involuntary O oh, escaped from her, and Mildred knew that Ralph had spoken of her. Probably, she thought, she has been his mistress. She wouldn't be here nursing if she hadn't been. I'll give him your card. There was nothing for it but to lower her eyes and murmur thank you, and before she reached the end of the street her discomfort had materially increased. She was humiliated and angry, humiliated that that girl should have seen through her so easily, angry that Ralph should have spoken about her to his mistress, for she was sure that the woman was or had been his mistress. She regretted having asked to see Ralph, but she had asked for an appointment. She could hardly get out of it now. She would have to meet that woman again, but she wanted to see Ralph. Ralph, I supposed, told her the truth. A moment's reflection convinced Mildred that that was probably the case, and reassured she went to bed, 
wondering when she would get a letter. She might get one in the morning. She was not disappointed. The first letter she opened read as follows. Madame, Mr. Hoskin begs me to thank you for your kind inquiry. He is feeling a little stronger and will be glad to see you. His best time is in the afternoon about three o'clock. Could you make it convenient to call about that time? I think it right to warn you that it would be well not to speak of anything that would be likely to excite him, for the doctor says that all hope of his recovery depends on his being kept quiet. I am, madam, yours truly, Ellen Gibbs. Ellen Gibbs, so that is her name, thought Mildred. There was a note of authority in the letter which did not escape Mildred's notice, and which she easily translated into a note of animosity, if not of hatred. Mildred did not like meeting this woman. Something told her that it would be wiser not, but she wanted to see Ralph, and an expression of vindictiveness came into her cunning eyes. If she dares to try to oppose me, she'll soon find out her mistake. I'll very soon settle her, a common woman like that. Moreover, she has been his mistress. I have not. She will quail before me. I shall have no difficulty in getting the best of her. Tomorrow. This letter was written last night, so I have to go to see him today, this afternoon, three o'clock. I shall have to go up after lunch by the two o'clock train. That will get me there by three. I wonder if he is really dying. If I were to go and see him and he were to recover, it would be like beginning it all over again. But I don't know why every base thought and calculation entered my head. I don't know why such thoughts should come into my head. I don't know why they do come. I don't call them, nor do their promptings affect me. I am going to see him because I was once very fond of him, because I caused him through no fault of mine, a great deal of suffering, because it appears that he's dying for love of me. I know he'd like to see me before he dies. That's why I am going, and yet horrid thoughts will come into my head. To hear me thinking, anyone would imagine it was only on account of my own vanity that I wanted to see him, whereas it is quite the contrary. As a rule, I hate sick people, and I'm sure it is most disagreeable to me to meet that woman. The two o'clock train took her to town, a hansom from Victoria to the studio. She dismissed the hansom at the corner and walked up the street, thinking of the woman who would open the door to her. There was something about the woman she didn't like, but it didn't matter. She would be shown in at once, and of course left alone with Ralph. Supposing the woman were to sit there all the while. But it was too late now. She had knocked. I've come to see Mr. Hoskin. Feeling that her speech was too abrupt, she added, I hope he is better today. Yes, I'm thankful to say he's a little better. Mildred stopped in the passage, and Ellen said, Mr. Hoskin isn't in his bedroom. We've put him into the studio. I hope she doesn't think that I've been in his bedroom, thought Mildred. Ralph lay in a small iron bed, hardly more than a foot from the floor, 
and his large features, wasted by illness, seemed larger than ever. But a glow appeared in his dying eyes at the sight of Mildred. Ellen placed a chair by his bedside and said, I will go out for a short walk. I shan't be away more than half an hour. Their eyes said, We shall be alone for half an hour. And she took the thin hand he extended to her. Oh, Ralph, I'm sorry to find you ill, but you are better today, aren't you? Yes, I feel a little better today. It was good of you to come. I came at once. How did you hear I was ill? We've not written to each other for a long while. I heard it in the National. Miss Brand told me. You know her? I remember she wrote about the new picture for an American paper. Yes, how familiar it sounds, those dear days in the National. Ralph's eyes were fixed upon her. She could not bear their wistfulness, and she lowered hers. She told me you were ill. But when did you return from France? Tell me. About six weeks ago. I fell ill the moment I got back. What was the matter? I had overdone it. I had overworked myself. I had let myself run down. The doctor said that I didn't eat enough meat. You know I never did care for meat. I remember. When I got better I was ordered to the seaside. Then I went on a visit to some friends and didn't get back to Sutton till Christmas. We had a lot of stupid people staying with us. I couldn't do any work while they were in the house. When they left I began a picture but I tried two difficult subjects and got into trouble with my drawing. You said I'd never succeed. I often thought of what you said. Well, then I went to the National. Nellie Brand told me you were ill, that you had been ill for some time, at least a month. A thin smile curled Ralph's red lips and his eyes seemed to grow more wistful. I've been ill more than a month, he said, but no matter. Nellie Brand told you, and, of course, I could not stay at the National. I felt I must see you. I didn't know how. My feet turned toward St. James Park. I stood on the little bridge, thinking, You know, I was very fond of you, Ralph. Only it was in my way, and you weren't satisfied. She looked at him sideways, so that her bright brown eyes might have all their charm. His pale eyes, wistful and dying, were fixed on her, not intently as a few moments before, but vaguely, and the thought stirred in her that he might die before her eyes. In that case, what was she to do? Are you listening? she said. Oh, yes, I'm listening, he answered. His smile was reassuring, and she said, Suddenly I felt that, that I must see you. I felt I must know what was the matter, so I took a cab and came straight here. Your servant... You mean Ellen? I thought she was your servant. She said that you were lying down and could not be disturbed. She did not seem to wish me to see you or to know what was the matter. I was asleep when you called yesterday, but when I heard of your visit I told her to write the letter which you received this morning. It was kind of you to come. Kind of me to come. You must think badly of me if you think I could have stayed away. But now tell me, Ralph, what is the matter? What does the doctor say? Have you had the best medical advice? Are you in want of anything? Can I do anything? Pray, don't hesitate. You know that I was, that I am, 
very fond of you, that I would do anything. You have been ill a long while now. What is the matter? Thank you, dear. Things must take their course. What that course is, it is impossible to say. I've had excellent medical advice, and Ellen takes care of me. But what is your illness? Nellie Brand told me that you caught a bad cold about a month ago. Perhaps a specialist. Yes, I had a bad attack of influenza about a month or six weeks ago, and I hadn't strength, the doctor said, to recover from it. I have been in bad health for some time. I've been disappointed. My painting hasn't gone very well lately. That was a disappointment. Disappointment, I think, is as often the cause of a man's death as anything else. The doctors give it a name. Influenza, or paralysis of the brain, failure of the heart's action. But these are the superficial causes of death. There is often a deeper reason, one which medical science is unable to take into account. Oh, Ralph, you mean me. Don't say that I am the cause. It was not my fault. If I broke my engagement, it was because I knew I could not have made you happy. There's no reason to be jealous. It wasn't for any other man. There never will be another man. I was really very fond of you. It wasn't my fault. No, dear, it wasn't your fault. It wasn't anyone's fault. It was the fault of luck. Mildred longed for tears, but her eyes remained dry, and they wandered round the studio examining and wondering at the various canvases. A woman who had just left her bath passed her arms into the sleeves of a long white wrapper. There was something peculiarly attractive in the picture. The picture said something that had not been said before, and Mildred admired its naturalness but she was still more interested in the fact that the picture had been painted from the woman who had opened the door to her. She sits for the figure and attends on him when he is ill. She must be his mistress. Since when, I wonder? How do you like it? he asked. Very much. It is beautifully drawn, so natural and so original. How did you think of that movement? That is just how a woman passes her arms into her wrapper when she get out of her bath. How did you think of it? I don't know. She took the pose. I think the movement is all right. Yes, it is a movement that happens every morning, yet no one thought of it before. How did you think of it? I don't know. I asked her to take some poses, and it came like that. I think it is good. I'm glad you like it. It is very different from the stupid things we draw in the studio. I told you that you'd do no good by going to France. I learnt a good deal there. Everyone cannot learn by themselves as you did. Only genius can do that. Genius. A few little pictures. I think I might have done something if I had got the chance. I should have liked to have finished that picture. It is a good beginning. I never did better. Dearest, you will live to paint your picture. I want you to finish it. I want you to live for my sake. I will buy that picture. There's only one thing I should care to live for, and that you shall have. Then I'll try to live. He raised himself a little in bed. His eyes were fixed on her, and he tried hard to believe. 
I'm afraid, he said, it's too late now. She watched him with the eyes she knew he loved, and, though ashamed of the question, she could not put it back, and it slipped through her lips. Would you sooner live for me than for that picture? One never knows what one would choose, he said. Such speculations are always vain, and never were they vainer than now. But I'm glad you like that movement. It doesn't matter even if I never finish it. I don't think it looks bad in its present state, does it? It is a sketch, one of those things that could not be finished. I recognize the model. She sat for it, didn't she? Yes. You seem very intimate. She seems very devoted. She has been very good to me. Don't say anything against her. I've nothing to conceal, Mildred. It is an old story. It began long before I knew you. And continued while you knew me? Yes. And you never told me. Oh, Ralph, while you were telling me you loved me, you were living with this woman. It happened so. Things don't come out as straight or as nice as we'd like them to. That's the way things come out in life. A bit crooked, tangled, cracked. I only know that I loved you. I couldn't have done otherwise. That's the way things happened to come out. There's no other explanation. And if I had consented to marry you, you'd have put her away? Mildred, don't scold me. Things happened that way. Mildred did not answer, and Ralph said, What are you thinking of? Of the cruelty, of the wretchedness of it all. Why look at that side of it? If I did wrong, I've been punished. She knows all. She has forgiven me. You can do as much. Forgive me. Kiss me. I've never kissed you. I cannot kiss you now. I hear her coming. Wipe those tears away. The doctor said that you were to be kept quiet. Shall I see you again? I don't think I can come again. She'll be here. Mildred, what difference can it make? We shall see. The door opened, Ellen came in, and Mildred got up to go. I hope you've enjoyed your walk, Miss Gibbs. Yes, thank you. I haven't been out for some days. Nursing is very fatiguing. Good-bye, Mr. Hoskin. I hope I shall soon hear that you're better. Perhaps Miss Gibbs will write. Yes, I'll write, but I'm afraid Mr. Hoskin has been talking too much. Let me open the door for you. End of Mildred Lawson, Chapter 11 Recording by James Carson